Hey everyone, I am so happy to bring you Brad Kearns on the podcast today. Brad is a New York Times bestselling author, a Guinness World Record setting professional speed golfer, and former national champion and number three world ranked professional triathlete. He's written over a dozen books on diet, health, peak performance, and ancestral living, and he's a popular speaker retreat host and face of the Primal Blueprint online multimedia educational courses. Um, In 2017, the Keto Reset Diet that he co-authored with Mark Sisson became a New York Times bestseller, and I first heard of Brad when I read Primal Endurance, which he also wrote with uh, Mark Sisson, which was just a game-changing book on how I looked at endurance training. Um, Today, we talk about their new book, Keto for Life and the Four Pillars for Happiness, Health, and Longevity. I love Brad's approach. It is so applicable, so no nonsense. He's been in the game for a minute. He understands what works and what doesn't. And so we'll go ahead and jump right into it. I'm so excited to bring you Brad Kearns. Brad, thank you for being here with us today. Coach Tara, nice to connect with you. Thanks. Absolutely, guys. Okay, so if you're not familiar with with Brad, he has co-authored a bunch of books with Mark Sisson. And um, Brad, I haven't told you this, but there's kind of like a running joke with my audience that I have like the most gigantic professional crush on Mark Sisson ever. I've cr- crossed paths with him a lot uh, at different conferences, and I just like I love his approach. I love your approach. It's so aligned with with mine and the fact that we need the metabolic flexibility and we need to make longevity a priority in our nutrition and our training approaches. And so I'm just going to give my audience a little background on you guys. Brad is currently 54. He's probably in biological years, a lot younger than most of you. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute, but he's a New York times bestseller. He also has a, holds a Guinness world record in speed golfing. Um, he's a formal na- former national champion, um, triathlete, and he has over a dozen books and diet, health, peak performance, ancestral living. He's a speaker, a retreat host, um, and does the primal blueprint online multimedia education courses. Um, Brad also has his own podcast, get over yourself, <laughs> where he talks about peak performance, personal growth and healthy living. Um, and um, lately you may have seen him online promoting his morning routine where he does a five minute plunge into a chest freezer, which I can't wait to pick your brain about too, because I'm also such a fan of cold therapy. Um, but to get started, I was wondering if you could give your, your, your version of your background, how you got started in health and fitness, where that journey took you and what you learned that took you to where you're at now with the approach that you teach. Well, thanks for the nice question, Tara. It's really it's exciting to uh, connect and share our thoughts, and you have your wonderful audience that's been, uh, you know, in- enjoying this journey. Uh, one thing that uh, comes to mind is how how far uh, disconnected most people are out there. So I I feel like we're we're doing a great thing by spreading the word. And for all the listeners, if they can spread the word to someone and say that. You know, they've been motivated, inspired. They're doing something different in their life. They feel great. Uh, You have to watch out for crossing that line where you're going to start preaching to your friends and family, especially because that'll be a turnoff. And I've learned that the hard way that, you know, only when someone is receptive, can you even begin the conversation. And, you know, I've had people come at me at a, a family celebratory dinner uh, over the holidays saying, oh, yeah, you you better watch this movie Game Changer. You'll you'll see. You'll see the truth. And I'm like, OK, um, you know, 
I'm a New York Times bestselling author on this stuff. I live and breathe it every day for a decade, but I didn't I didn't get a word in edgewise. And it was amusing to sit back and, you know, put my ego in check and just listen and, you know, make it a learning experience for myself rather than try to have the loudest voice at the table because of my expertise and experience and, and actually correct uh, these things and try to change people's minds because people's minds don't really want to be changed. When when someone's receptive, you'll know and they, you know, they're 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 tuning in, listening to a podcast, letting it simmer and, and sink in at their own pace and their own level. So I'm trying to uh, spread the word and be motivated, excited, enthusiastic, and tell you to get into the chest freezer and do a cold plunge every day. Mm -hmm. But some people think that's crazy and stupid. And so I'll let them go ahead and think it's crazy and stupid until I get like a little toe foot in the door. And then we start talking and then we get super excited. So hopefully we will hit that because that's something that's really been uh, mm -hmm. a wonderful new element into my lifestyle that I, I didn't do before uh, two years ago. Oh, yes. And you asked me a question, didn't you? So my background is an athlete. And when I was a little kid, I loved sports and running around and playing. And boy, wasn't that a great time where, you know, today's era and the age of technology and hyperconnectivity and changing cultural values, the kids aren't out there running around playing all day like like we were when we were kids. So uh, that was my background was just playing sports and being really competitive and enjoying the whole thing. And in high school, I was I became a very serious runner. I competed at the national level. I dreamed of going off to college and running at the collegiate level. And that really didn't work out for me. So I found the sport of triathlon where I wouldn't keep getting injured like the runners always get injured. And that led to a really wonderful journey, uh, nine year career as a professional triathlete. So I kind of got to uh, realize my lifelong dream of being an athlete. I just didn't turn out to be the NFL because I was uh, a little too small <laughs> for that when I was heading into high school. But I got to, you know, compete at the highest level and dedicate my life to getting the absolute most out of my body. And during that journey, uh, I learned some important lessons that transfer to every single thing I do every day in my life. So that athletic experience was really rich and valuable to me because I learned you learn the lessons of success and failure as an athlete in a very intense and dramatic manner. There's no comparison to in the workplace when someone else got the vice president promotion and you deserved it more and you have a bunch of excuses and things that you can talk about. You know, when you're an athlete, you go there. If you win a race, in my case, in my sport, you make a lot of money. And if you come in seventh, you don't make very much money at all. In fact, you might be uh, a net loss on the trip to Florida, to Israel or France or whatever we'd race. So it was really uh, a chance to uh, grow as a person and realize that it wasn't just about I'm getting to a, a take home point for the listeners. Don't worry, people. You know, it's not just about putting your foot on the gas pedal and pushing your body as hard as you can or being as disciplined and motivated and all these accolades that we get when we're people that go in the gym or go to the right store and shop for the right foods. It's not about that. It's about this, you know, holistic approach where you really have to have the proper attitude and mindset in conjunction with being willing to work hard and compete and stay disciplined and stay focused. And so the title of my podcast, as you mentioned, is Get Over Yourself. And I'm not trying to be a wise guy. I'm trying to share probably the most important lesson that I learned when I was competing as an athlete, that I had to get over myself and not attach my self-esteem to the results, to the outcome of what I was doing. 
So there's a way to manage this where you can still be a driven, intense, motivated person in life. You want to go succeed in your career. You want to drop 10 more pounds and compete in the fitness contest or cross the finish line of an ultra marathon or whatever it is you're going for. But to be able to give it all you got, enjoy the experience all the way. And then when the, when the race is over, when the, when the workout's over, you go on about with your day and you kind of uh, put things in perspective rather than uh, living and dying by the, the, the success of your uh, fitness journey. Yeah. Like what I'm hearing from you, cause I definitely, sometimes I feel like I teeter in between like, like uh, the David Goggins approach of like, push yourself and find what you're capable of and you're capable of so much more and you, but also with this aspect of self-love, of honoring and enjoying that journey and doing it out of like, I honor what I can do, not I have to, so I can get expected outcome. It's enjoying the journey along the way. And that's what I'm hearing from you. I mean, I, I haven't been a professional athlete, so I can only imagine the the degree of competitiveness and, and almost pressure you have to put on yourself to get to that level. Um, but I hear what I'm hearing from you is that like, yes, well, that's important to stay motivated and push yourself past your comfort zone, that you also are, have really discovered how important it is to find, to find a groove that you enjoy doing it. So it's not just all outcome based, which I think is wildly missing in the health and nutrition, the fitness world. It's like, everyone wants the after picture and it's like, there's, there's no after. <laughs> After. There's no after picture. This is your new life. Welcome to your new life. Right. And that's kind wow. of what I'm hearing from yeah, you. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, we talked before we started recording and you have your four kids and I have two kids who are now into the uh, adult category, uh, 22 and 20 years old. So I've been through that journey of, of raising them when you're all in and everything you place great importance on the upbringing of your kids and doing the right decisions as a parent and motivating and guiding them and inspiring them. And then at this age, I look back and I realize, you know, I didn't have as much influence on them as I think I did. And I need <laughs> to get over myself as a parent, not thinking that I can control everything and mold my kid into this thing that I, I think is, uh, you know, would be a, a happy, successful, motivated, well-adjusted kid. So, you know, kids have their own independent agency and they're going to live their life however they, however they decide. And if they want to screw up and struggle and do stupid things and waste time, guess what? That's how it's going to roll. And so when we apply that get over yourself lesson to being a parent and just kind of model things like uh, appreciating the journey, not going for the after picture, because you listen to kids talk now these days, especially college age kids and the the laced conversations and questions that they get like, so what are you studying? Oh, psychology. What are you going to do with that? It's like, why would you even ask that? What you're going to do is go study and find something that you're passionate about learning and not worry about that until the time comes or, you know, go go along your merry way without having to answer to the pressuring, motivating, uh, you know, the, the measuring, judging forces of society. So uh, I think that in fitness, as we come you know, come full circle here, boy, it's it's kind of uh, overrated all that motivation, discipline, hard work. I appreciate David Goggins' message too, and he's a kind of a mm -hmm. a, a poster boy for you know mm -hmm. the extreme. And mm -hmm. boy, for most people in this world, this modern world, they should listen to that fool and take a chance and go <laughs> twice as far as they think they could go. But for right. those of us that are already locked into a mode where we, we do respect and, and love and appreciate our bodies and we want to achieve goals and we're already disciplined and focused, 
boy, oh boy, there's something to be said for toning that SHI blank down and mm-hmm. going and enjoying yourself, being kind to your body, listening to it. And in mm-hmm. my case, in my triathlon career, I had to apply the most discipline and motivation to rest rather than to go out yes. and train. I love training. I'd get on my bike and ride for six hours. Anytime we'd go explore new mountain passes and it was fantastic experience. But on those days when it wasn't meant to be, I had to trust myself and exert Mm -hmm. great discipline to say goodbye to the pack that I was riding with and say, you know, guys, I'm going to turn around and go home now and take a nap and and stretch and uh, uh, Mm -hmm. rent some movies at the uh, at the VHS store. Now you can know that I'm definitely the age that you said (laughs) Uh, that was that was my era where I just take some days and unplug. And now, my gosh, with the hyper connectivity and all the all the things, the opportunities that we have to do every day, that's the forgotten um, the forgotten skill of modern life is to unplug. That's why, oh, listen to me, I'm getting ready for my plug now. Our new book, Keto for Life, that Mark Sisson and I just put out, uh, we have a whole section dedicated to rest and recovery because yeah. everyone talks about it. We pay lip service to it, but we're not really doing it very well. And most of it's thanks to the portable device that can constantly engage us and entertain us mm-hmm. and and uh, instead of having those those down times that were so rich and valuable in, in the old days. Yeah, I, I talked to my, a lot of my clients are kind of like us. They know how to push the pedal to the metal. They've already, they're there, right? They actually want to learn how to sustain a lifestyle in which they don't have to be pedal to the metal or be in this fear-based state of what if I let go a little bit? What if I let off the reins? <laughs> What's going to happen? Am I going to go back to being You'll obese? get fat, I, of course. Yeah, right. Am I going to go back? Am I just, my life is going to fall apart. And um, what I what I have found is that it's interesting, your, the conversation you're talking about having with your kids and that those expectations, because my oldest daughter is 14 and we just had a conversation the other day and I was giving her my spiel of you can do whatever you want with your life. And And she's like, mom, I know. (laughs) And she's like, she's like, and she's like, sometimes kids my age feel a lot of pressure because everyone's like, what are you going to do with your life? And she's like, I have no idea. And it was such a great and vulnerable and real conversation that we had because it was a good check for me. I was like, that's, that's totally true. You're 14 years old. You have no idea what you're going to do with your life. I was like, you know what I have learned. I mean, I've worked at a grill in college and I've worked at, you know, hotel reservation. I've done all sorts of random crazy things. But one thing that I did, no matter what job I was in was I always did my best, whatever Mm -hmm. schooling I was in, I always did my best. And I think as we continue to just always do our best and put our best foot forward and really find love and enjoyment for what we're doing, it will lead us on the path that will bring us the most happiness. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you too, with, with, with health and fitness, what's so important and what I love about your book. And I want you to get into the pillars that you're teaching in in the book, because I think they're so great, um, is, is that we find a, 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 a certain amount of pleasure in our health healthy lifestyle, right? Because at first, I think when you're making those big changes, a lot of people, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. It's like, got to do this, got to restrict calories, got to restrict carbs, got to hit the gym six days a week, got to, got to, got to, right? And at some point, something's got to switch where it's like, not I have to, I get to, I like to, I love to, I love nurturing my body with these things. I love expressing my own physicality and fitness, right? And that's that's really what I'm hearing. And I also loved in your book that there is a certain spiritual component in the book, talking about meditation and gratitude practices. And so I'll let you go ahead and get into that. There's, there's four pillars that you talk about in the book. Would you mind going through those for the audience? 
Oh, thanks. Yes, the first the first one in, in Keto for Life is the familiar one, metabolic flexibility. And that just is describing this journey that maybe a lot of the listeners have been on to escape from carbohydrate dependency and become fat and keto adapted. And that's pretty simple. You got to get the crap out of your diet as the first step to even dreaming about uh, a life of health and disease protection and longevity. And, you know, maybe a lot of people are stuck on that point. But when you get the, the grains, sugars, and the refined industrial seed oils out of your diet and start choosing the ancestral foods that are natural and nourishing and have, have uh, you know, thrived for two million years of human evolution, then you have a fighting chance at being a healthy person with good cognitive function and not heading down that disastrous path of, of you know, energy decline, weakness, illnesses, all that kind of stuff that's routine now. So we kind As of a- like... As a triathlete, did you at one time feel that carbohydrate dependency? What did that Uh, feel like? Yeah, that's funny. uh, Because when you get really fit, you can kind of uh, escape from some of these traps that the largely sedentary person Mm -hmm. eating carbs all day is going to be in really uh, deep trouble. And we see that with the Mm -hmm. uh, incidence of um, metabolic disease in, in youth today, you know, the type two diabetes, these, these kids are getting it when they're teenagers. Uh, so when I was out there training for hours and hours a day, I was largely fueled by carbohydrates. I was trying to make good choices and consume what we thought was the, you know, the go-to stuff of the day, the whole grains and the vegetables and fruit. And, uh, of course the energy foods, which didn't really offer much except for the calories. So I don't think I was, um, you know, looking back, if we if we had it to do over, of course, you know, the fat adapted athlete, I believe, is going to be the future of endurance performance because it's so much healthier. You recover so much quicker because you have less mm-hmm. inflammation and oxidative right. stress. Uh, I did a show on the Primal Blueprint channel with a fellow Primal Health Coach, Dude Spellings, and this guy is really on the cutting edge. And this one story that he told, I think, is going to be one of the great breakthroughs of of the of the decade in endurance training and recovery and he described doing the double crossing of the grand canyon which is about 50 miles down into the bottom up to the north rim back down to the bottom up to the south rim and he was uh, trying to do it fasted as an extreme ketogenic performer and he made it like i don't know to mile 38 or something he had to slam some i think he was eating coconut butter or something you know to get out of the Mm -hmm. get out of the canyon but when he finished this uh this amazing achievement with his group of buddies that did it, someone arranged for uh, a bunch of pizza boxes at the at the top, steaming hot pizza to enjoy and celebrate this great achievement. And he decided instead to fast another overnight fast. So he went to sleep in his tent and fasted for another eight or 10 hours. And the idea is that when we're beat up from an extreme physical event, even a, even a tough workout at the gym, not something crazy, but let's say you, you do an important workout and you go home and you want to refuel and recover and make a smoothie and put all this stuff in there. Uh, we now know from science that fasting is the best anti-inflammatory, uh, antioxidant, immune-boosting act that you can do for yourself. So by fasting overnight, he said he woke up the next morning and he was less stiff and sore than when he crossed the Grand Canyon 13 years before, when he was a much younger person. Now he's around 50. And I just kept thinking about that story where, you know, if we can change these paradigms and realize that we can fuel our bodies with an alternative fuel source, namely body fat and making ketones as needed and tapping into stored glycogen, of course, and completely escaping this nonsense of the incessant 
food consumption and snacking and overfeeding that even the athletic world has engaged in since day one. Uh, Luis Villasenor down at ketogains.com. He's based in Mexico and he's had mm-hmm. uh, one of the longest runs in the ketogenic scene. He's been a strict mm-hmm. ketogenic for 18 years and counting. Yeah. And he's an extreme power athlete and bodybuilder with an incredible mm-hmm. physique, all the muscle and the hard workouts. And he's eating hardly any carbohydrates because he's transitioned over successfully. So that kind of stuff's exciting to uh, consider when you get deep into this concept of metabolic flexibility. But that simple starting point for anybody is to get that junk out of your diet and then give yourself a chance to become fat adaptive. Wow. That, thank you for sharing that story about dude. <laughs> what a cool name he has too. But I, I have noticed as an endurance athlete myself, oftentimes when I'll run these fall runs, they'll have pizza at the finish line, right? That like that. And there is nothing my body wants less than pizza. I, I, I literally can't understand how people can cross the finish line. They're huffing and puffing. They're sweating like crazy. And they're just shoving pizza in their, in their mouth. I'm like, Oh, how can you do that right now? Because my body is not hungry. It is rejecting food. And I have found that after races, I am not hungry for the rest of the day. It's not until the next day that I start to feel hungry again. So I love that because I really think that's my body's automatic response saying, Hey, we really prefer if you just kind of let us deal with all this stuff right now instead of having to process a bunch of food. So that's that's really fascinating that he did that on such an extreme run as well. Um, I love that. It makes total sense. We know that fasting fights inflammation. We know that if somebody goes into the hospital and has brain trauma or something, what do we want them to do? We want them to fast. So while we're going through a lot mm. of physical trauma from a run, we also would definitely promote fasting. That's so fascinating. It's so opposed to the traditional like hurry, refill, you got to eat to recover. It's so different. And I love that he did that. So thanks for sharing that story. Okay. I'll let you move into the second pillar. Oh, so the second pillar would be movement and physical fitness, uh, kind of lumping those together. And this is also an exciting area for me to talk about because I've been in the fitness and the extreme athletic world for so long. And they're now realizing, and some of the thought leaders of the world, like Dr. Kelly Starrett, uh, mm-hmm. best-selling author and uh, operating the Ready State, the new website, and you know, ex- leader in the mobility, flexibility, injury prevention. He's talking about this too. We did a great show on my podcast where he, he focused mm-hmm on this instead of all his area of expertise he says we got to move around more you should drop your kid (laughs) you should park a mile from school and walk your kid to school every day all these kind of things are of central importance uh, so that the movement objective is seemingly more important than getting your butt to the gym and getting into uh, a devoted workout regimen because look even the most extreme let's say the crossfitter that's going five days a week or the marathon runner who's putting in there 40 or 50 miles a week that's only four, six, eight, nine, ten hours a week. There's 168 right. hours in a week. Uh, right. The recent research shows that most of us are inactive for about uh, 21 of those 24 hours. We're sleeping. Okay, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, mm-hmm. We're working, commuting. Uh, we're relaxing on the couch, and we're going to the gym from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. and slamming out another spinning workout. Okay, that's better than not doing it. But it's such a small fraction of your lifestyle that we are obligated to find ways to move around more in a general sense and have that be the top top objective over and above whether or not you made it to spin class at 6 a.m. And so the ways to do that, number one, obviously, is JFW. That's what we call it. Just F and walk and (laughs) find ways to walk more no, no matter what. I mean, whatever it takes. 
and I like going into uh, the, the Costco parking lot and turning left and driving away from the store and parking there. <laughs> yes. and gonna, I jog in past all the people that are cruising around <laughs> waiting for some idiot to finally back out of their space after they're done texting, you know. So there are all kinds of things we can do here. I'm also a big fan of these micro workouts or mini workouts. And like we were talking about just before we got on Skype, I was doing my, my pull-up set. It's right here. Yeah. I'm, I'm touching it right now. And so I have opportunities. It doesn't cost much money to set yourself up with a set of stretch cords and a pull-up bar. In my backyard, I have a, a hex deadlift bar, one of the great workouts known to mankind. And it's yeah. right where I go to throw the garbage away from the kitchen. So every time I throw a bag of garbage into the garbage can, I do a single set of hex bar deadlifts. I don't have I to do it. five by five protocol with 40 second micro supers <laughs> that, you know, I'm just going there, lifting the bar and going about my busy day. I'm not charting it in my workout log. I'm not worried about uh, adding more weight to the next set. It's just sort of integrating general movement opportunities into daily life. And I'm especially talking to all you all athletes listening there. As Katie Bowman says, athletes have this lazy athlete mentality where because they did their 6 a.m. badass workout at the gym, mm -hmm. they get to ride the elevator instead of walk three floors up the stairs or they get to go find the closest spot at Costco. And I'm the worst example. Back in my triathlon days, I lived six tenths of a mile from my mailbox and I would routinely, every evening, I would drive to get the mail. <laughs> not walk, not bicycle. There was a big hill, I have to say. It was a really steep okay, hill to get okay. up. Yeah. But you know, I'd ridden my bike, let's say 84 miles through the mountains that day, but I couldn't ride another 0.6 to get my mail in a backpack because I was too lazy. And I didn't even feel like walking. And so when we over-exercise, we tend to be less active. And there's great research now. Uh, this guy went down to Tanzania. We talk about it in the book and uh, this concept of total energy expenditure that humans are constrained with our maximum energy expenditure that we have every day or let's say every month. And such that if you do an extreme workout in the morning, your body is going to find ways to become lazier and eat more food over mm -hmm. the duration of that day. It's a compensation factor to make sure that you don't blow out all your energy. So the athlete especially has to be that person that walks around more and does, let's say, a set of 20 deep squats in their cubicle uh, four times over the course of an eight-hour workday. That's not too much to ask. It's not going to screw up your track workout tomorrow. It's just something that you do that's a change in mindset, a change in mentality. And I think this is one of the great breakthroughs uh, in the fitness scene that's coming in the years ahead is that you don't have to go and, and, and suffer through an hour and 12-minute workout at the gym with your trainer unless you have a really good trainer. Trainer, right, Tara? Then you can do it. But <laughs> I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Just please, <laughs> please add that element in. Uh, yeah. My stairs, another great example. I, I sprint every time I go upstairs in my house, even if I'm tired, yes. if it's nighttime. Yes. There's stairs, it's time to sprint. And it's like, does it, is it going to make me reach the Olympics? Probably not. But if you times that by 365, guess what? It's going to make my sprint workouts that much better and my life and my health and my, especially my ability to burn fat. That's why we kind of threw these pillars in. It's like, guess what, people? This matters a lot to your ability to burn fat. So your devoted dietary restriction efforts where you're really trying to go keto and then you sit on your butt for eight hours, uh, there's research showing that if you are still for as short as 20 minutes, you have a noticeable 
decrease in glucose tolerance and increase in insulin resistance after 20 minutes of sitting around. So if you just get up and pace around the, uh, the island of cubicles and come back, you're kicking back into fat burning mode. Yep. Yep. I love what you're saying here. I had the opportunity to live in Madrid, Spain, um, while I was in college doing a study abroad there. And at that time in my life, I was the thinnest I had ever been. And it felt almost effortless because I was walking everywhere. There were no cars. I didn't have a car. We walked to the metro station and then we walked quite a distance off of the metro station, wherever we had to go. And if you didn't want to like bother with the metro, you would just walk to the next destination. And I was so much more active just from that, that I was like, this is great. This is the thin. I don't even have to worry about it. This is the thinnest I've ever been. I feel great. I feel awesome in my body. And it made me really wake up to the fact that here in the United United States, we don't move. Like we go from our kitchen to our garage and we sit in a car that then takes us to the closest parking spot. Then we barely walk into the store. We walk back up. We just don't move. And I, I love what you're talking about here because it's kind of like the same as posture. People will say, how can I improve my posture? I'm like, well, you can't just go fix your posture for five minutes in the gym. Like it's got to be a practice that you're doing all day long. And so, so does movement. And, you know, one of the things I advocate is sitting in a deep squat while you're on your laptop, right? Open up your hips, just little things you can incorporate into your day like that makes such a difference in the long run because you're right like we can't expect to ingrain <laughs> a, a very um slow moving bad movement pattern lifestyle for 23 hours a day and think we're going to fix it all in one hour of the day so i love i love what you're saying there and um one of the things that i teach for like when I get insulin resistant clients that are usually obese and they're coming to do keto to fix that and to not get diabetes is I just, we don't, I don't have them hit the gym. You know, they've got a lot of excess weight on them. They're just trying to restore it. So I just have them walk after dinner, right? And they can still be with their family if they have a treadmill in their home and they can just get expedite that fat burning process. It's like, I look at it as um, expediting fasting window, right? Like let's get into it quicker and it's a great stress relief. It's an appetite suppressant. So you're not, you know, hungry at night and craving snacks. And so um, I'm a huge advocate of just, just walking, just move. Like it, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but just find a way that you can move every day. And I love your trap bar by your garbage can. That is amazing. <laughs> I love that so much. Thanks for sharing. Uh, speaking of walking, if you walk as little as 15 minutes after a meal at the ridiculously slow pace of one mile per hour, this is from the research, you will uh, mute the insulin response by 50%. So wow. we should all be getting up from the dinner table and walking. And I feel like some of those uh, outings where you are walking after dinner because you're on vacation and you're walking along the waterfront or something, it seems like the meal digests better and you don't have that uh, kind of bloated, sluggish feeling after eating a meal. So yeah, and this Definitely. stuff is, this, these are not big asks, but they do require um, some awareness and commitment. And that's the that's the hard part because I I see people with good intentions and then they sink back into uh, you know lifestyle routine of of sitting around too much. So it's a it's a work in progress and I'm you know I'm I'm committed myself to noticing uh, what I can do better and the, the micro workouts have been a huge a huge thing. Yeah, I noticed you guys mentioned in Keto for Life um, decision fatigue, which is something that I talk about a lot. It's like make the decision once and then you don't have to keep making it over and over again. So I always tell my clients and my you know following like, listen, if, if it were up to me, like, hey, maybe I'll fit a workout in sometime today. 
my consistency would be terrible, but I, 6 a.m. I go to the gym. And if I don't feel like I need, you know, Monday through Friday, that is my schedule. And if I feel like I need a rest day, I'll just walk and do my social media posting and whatever, but I'm committed to that time. And because I've made that decision once, I don't have to keep making the decision over and over and over, or I would definitely gas out. So I love that right. you guys mentioned that. Right on. Um, all right, the third pillar, we're talking mental flexibility. We're talking mental flexibility. Yeah, I and love this. I got this is excited. a big one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a big one. Uh, we, we've seen some, you know, positive changes in in society with technological progress, but we've also seen some things that have become kind of a disaster. And one of them is uh, the hyperconnectivity, the negative health aspects of that, and also the uh, destruction of uh, social connection whereby we don't need to uh, engage with live interpersonal relationships as much because we have this constant opportunity for stimulation in the form of uh, social media and, and sort of a replacement for real people. And they, they have some talk that uh, young people have uh, stunted uh, interpersonal skills because they don't have to use them because they just text, you know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, getting into this uh, this pillar, we cover a lot of different topics, but I think the starting point or the definition of mental flexibility is being able to go with the flow in life and deal with uh, the unexpected, deal with setbacks and failures and struggles and realize that these are the things that make you uh, make you grow as a person. And I think we're we're so conditioned now to uh, consumerism, instant gratification, uh, you know, ranking against our peers because now it's so easy to rank against our peers because we have social media and likes and, and followings and all these kind of things that we get disappointed, discouraged and negative when life doesn't go uh, perfectly as planned. Same with the, um, you know, the, the traffic app on your phone. And so you can see exactly how long it's going to take. And uh, then if something happens that's not perfect, oh, my gosh, come on, people. Remember uh, whatever, 20, 30 years ago when you just jumped on the freeway and crossed your fingers? And I'm from Southern California, so we'd have some <laughs> epic traffic battles where you're just stuck for three hours on what usually takes 45 minutes. And you have no idea why and when it's going to end. So I'm grateful for the traffic app. Even if it's telling me there's a lot of traffic, at least I know. But being able to pivot, that's Mark Sisson's favorite word to describe, mm -hmm. especially his entrepreneurial journey, where mm -hmm. if something's not working, you got to face the music, be honest with yourself and pivot and try something else and not get stuck mm -hmm. in these ruts that we're mm -hmm. so familiar with, because that's human nature is to get stuck in a rut. It yeah. applies really strongly to relationship dynamics, stuck in a lousy relationship or stuck in lousy relationship dynamics that you deserve to correct and are so easy to correct. So being able to pivot, try something new, uh, put the ego aside, right? That goes hand in hand with being able to pivot and and you know re reinvent yourself, like you described when you're um, you know struggling with your fitness goals. The weight's not coming off. You're doing the same thing. You're running many many steps, and something's not working. You got to open your mind to something crazy. Like at the time when primal paleo movement started, it was ridiculous. It was crazy. The doctors were right. dis disgracing it. One of my first talks I gave was to a group of physicians at lunchtime at a hospital about the primal blueprint, this new book about grains are bad and we eat too many carbs and we should eat more fat. And fat's actually nutritious and healthy and fuels the human. And these guys were, you know, they were ridiculous to the point of being disrespectful. They thought I was a, a clown as some jock comes in here and starts talking about this stuff. And it was because 
you know, the, the, the closed mindedness and the traditions and the medical still the medical world is still very, um, you know, linear. They're not looking at alternative medicine theories because they're in traditional medicine. So it's really hard to kind of remain flexible in the mind, ha develop that mental flexibility. But it's a critical component of longevity where the rumination uh, the, the the actual disease state of FOMO, my friend, Dr. Ron Sinha, who was interviewed in the book, he's got a great book of his own, The South Asian Health Solution. He takes care of uh, really high income uh, patient population in California's Silicon Valley. So he, he treats these employees of some of the great tech companies of the world, Facebook, Google, Oracle. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. these people make two and a half times the national average in income. So they're doing very well. They have great jobs. They have their vacations and their cars and their whatever. And he sees this widespread condition of FOMO, fear of missing out, or folk you. You know what folk you is, Tara? No, I don't. Fear of keeping up. Oh, folk, wow. Folk you hmm. too. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> so if these, people, like if these people are stressing because they don't have enough, and they feel behind because guess what? There's also someone who's 10 times richer than you next door because mm -hmm. they cashed in their stock options. And the crazy wealth that emanates from society is really psychologically harmful. So much so that Dr. Sinha identifies FOMO as a disease state with metabolic <laughs> consequences. So wow. when you're stressing about not having enough, it wow. shows up in your triglycerides, your blood pressure, your stress hormones. And so whew, if we can just zero in on this one topic and not talk about diet or sleep or all these big picture items that we always hit, um, this could be a life-changing insight to say, wow, I better step off the, you know, the, the, the roller coaster here and be grateful, for example, for what I, what I have today and where I am today. And that's, um, it's tough, but it, it, believe me, people, it's possible. And guess what? If you're listening to the podcast, you're doing darn good. It could be worse, right? No matter all other things being equal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What are some daily practices you recommend people incorporate into their lives in order to have more mental flexibility? Uh, I'm personally getting stressed out by all the recommendations of daily mm. practices, and I think we've gone mm. overboard. I just did a mm. show on my podcast about, I'm not going to name the prominent uh, best-selling author, prominent uh, authority in the world, and uh, there's a viral video on YouTube about morning ritual, and mm -hmm. his morning ritual recommendation numbers 15 things, including mm -hmm. meditation for only 20 minutes. That's all you need to do, and all of a sudden, you're adding it up, and this can stress you out itself, thinking that you have such a long to-do list of things to do. So I'd like everyone to discover what works best for themselves. But if you can kind of define it as doing something, advocating for your own health and well-being, for example, the first thing you do when you wake up is probably the most important time to do something like that. Um, there's uh, psychological research that if you reach for your phone is the first thing you do in the morning. And guess what percentage of Americans reach for their phone is the very first act they do upon waking up. It's 84%. As soon as you reach for that phone and engage with that phone, your brain is locking into reactive mode rather than high-level critical thinking, evaluating, planning, strategic planning. That's a different brain mode. And once you get into reactive mode, there's a quote in the book. I forgot the psychologist's name, but she says, quote, you'll never recover. It's very, very difficult to disengage and go back and go back to your to-do list or your gratitude journal or yeah. whatever it is. So if I can say something 
after slamming the entire concept of suggested uh, things to do. Do something for yourself that you really enjoy and, and feels good and is simple and sustainable. Uh, I have on my uh, on YouTube, you mentioned it, I have my morning flexibility. Oh, I, I do the morning flexibility mobility routine. I get on the ground and do my legs and I do scissors and core exercises. And then I go jump in the cold tub and I do that every single morning without fail. And I'm so proud to share that fact with people because um, I can't, you know, I'm someone that's a little bit freewheeling and I can't be tied down to a commitment very easily. But for me, it feels great to say that the first thing I do every single morning is hit the deck and I do a series of leg exercises that really helps me uh, prevent injuries and sort of build a higher platform from all the workouts that I, that I do from there. Now, if you have only one minute to advocate for yourself in the morning because you're so busy and you got to get the kids up and you got to do this and you got to do that. At least you're making a commitment and building a habit of doing something. And even if it's one minute, that's great. Go out there and get fresh air and uh, direct uh, sunlight onto your eyeballs is a great way to set your circadian rhythm. And anybody can do it. If, if you have a dog and you're listening, get that dog out first thing in the morning. You and the animal are connecting. You're doing the animal right. You're, you're being a good pet owner. And you're also getting outdoors and, and doing something that's sort of calming rather than the reactive mode of the phone. I love that. Yeah. So for me personally, I am an advocate of the morning routine. For me, that's been a wonderful lifestyle switch to, to meditate and have a gratitude practice in the morning. Um, but it's something I think as a mom being so busy and so bogged down in the doing, running my own business, um, being with my kids all day, it's like it, I've learned that it's just coveted me time. So for me, that fits. And for and I love, I don't have a cold punch. I do not have a tub or a, I do cold showers every day. And the water is pretty cold here in Salt Lake City in the morning, but I haven't done the submersion consistently. And, but I have noticed even from the showers, quite an increase in my ability to manage stress, because when you're wow. willingly putting yourself into a stress state and learning that you can breathe through that and you don't have to hyper react, like you're talking about and freak out and run from this stress, you gain so much power over your own ability to manage stress. And that's what I've noticed. And that's what I've noticed from meditation too. The reason I incorporate meditation every day. Well, there's a lot of benefits, but for me as a hyper doer, like I'm a super overachiever, like I want to do all the things <laughs> and my brain is like, Ooh, 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 like total entrepreneur brain, right? Like I, I could do this and I could do that. It's been really good for me to be like, I have so many things to do today, but no, right now is me time. I'm going to sit and I'm going to breathe and I'm going to allow thoughts to come in and disconnect. That's been wildly impacting for me. But I love what you said there that it's like finding what, what fills your cup right? Like what feels good to you? Like those morning stretches that you do, the ice plunge, like that fills your cup. That makes you feel really good every day. So I think um, there's a lot of suggestions out there, right? There's a lot <laughs> of suggestions of do this, do that, do this, do that. But it's really tapping into yourself and being like, what actually, what is my soul telling me that I need to do that, that would fill my cup? And that's what I'm hearing from you, which is really really a wonderful um, uh, idea to present in, the, in this world full of ideas right now. Well said. Right. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So uh, rest and recovery is the fourth pillar. So let's talk about that because I, how many, how many triathlons did, have you done by the way? Oh, mercy. You know, I was on the circuit for nine years and I think I did 130 races around the world. <laughs> and during that time period, so it's like age 20 to 30, I, w I was a racer and I was asleep for half of that time. I was asleep for half of my life, literally, wow. because I took wow. a 10 hour, 10 hour sleep every single night. 
And then uh, in the afternoon, I'd have a two-hour nap time. And if I didn't get my nap, if something disturbed me, like the line was too long at the bank or something, you know, I was I was a little I was a little bent out of shape about it, and I thought wow. my evening workout wasn't quite as great. You know, I had to calibrate oh, everything in my life to get the most out of my body. And right. that's a nice uh, phase to go through in life. Uh, and then it ends, which is also really healthy and nice to grow and move on to the next phase, which was yeah. being a parent of small kids and not getting anywhere near that amount of sleep for a while. Uh, but the the example is, you know, my my goal was to perform as an athlete. So I had no excuse not to sleep as much as I absolutely needed and to rest and, and recover. And I think I noticed the training pattern of someone who was a professional and I had all day to train versus the, a lot of guys I trained with had to run off and do their jobs. And we might have done the same workout. Let's say we woke up in the morning, went to the 6 a.m. swim workout in the pool, swim, swim, swim. And then one guy is rushing into the locker room, showering, putting that tie on, his hair still dripping wet, running out to the car, grabbing a bagel, stuffing it in his face, driving in traffic, getting into an office, getting into sympathetic fight or flight stress mode and trying to manage that uh, that training requirement with all the other forms of stress in life. And right. guess what? They all weigh down the same side of the, you know, the scales of justice, the blind lady with the two sides of the scale. Mm -hmm. these, these stress factors all weigh down the same side of the scale. And on the other side, we have this, we have this wimpy other side where there's not much there. Oh yes, we all go to sleep at night. Isn't that great? And maybe some of us are are good about uh, doing a, a 10 or 20 minute meditation exercise or whatever else you can throw on that other side of the scale. Even watching Netflix or something is technically it's a way to unwind, but you're still getting a sort of a, a sympathetic nervous system stimulation, especially if you're watching something exciting sure. and thrilling. And so it's not yeah. technically unwinding as mm. humans are used to throughout evolutionary times and even a generation ago where you'd sit on the on the porch and watch the right. world go by and chit chat with a neighbor. You know, it's very Great soothing point. and calming and relaxing. And now we got the phone wow. and someone, uh, the text yeah. message dings. And so it's really, we're, we're doing a poor job getting into that, uh, the parasympathetic mode. That's the rest and digest uh, branch of the autonomic nervous system. And you do that with things like uh, breathing exercises or foam rolling is a great way to kind of unwind and, and trigger parasympathetic stimulation, strolling through the neighborhood with your dog in the evening, uh, all kinds of those things that don't have that stress component to it. So that rest and recovery section, of course, is hitting sleep as the, uh, the, the, you know, the most prominent thing to make sure that you're dialed all in there. And just quickly for the listeners, I'll, I'll hit the big picture points is, hey, if you can minimize artificial light and digital stimulation after it gets dark in your environment, that's your number one objective. And so think about the problem in this manner. As soon as the sun sets, we have incredible hardwiring that's calibrated through millions of years, billions of years uh, on Earth. Every living, every living form on Earth is uh, subjected to a circadian rhythm. So mm -hmm. we're used to winding things down, getting sleepy, and going to sleep. So when you go on a camping trip and there's no artificial light, you put the campfire on. That's an orange hue of light. It doesn't interfere like the blue light that we call it, the artificial interior light or the light coming from the screen. That messes up your sleep hormones and throws you out of whack. 
So if you can form an objective to wind things down, tone things down, take the light sources down in your home in the evening hours, it's going to make for a more peaceful transition into the eventual time that you're going to sleep. That's why the everyone's getting the popularity of the uh, blue blocking, you know, orange or yellow colored lenses. You put the applications on your screens, like I use one called um, Iris Tech. And you can uh, go find that and, and test it out. There's another one called Flux. The, uh, the phones now have night mode, and it kind of softens the light uh, source coming from these artificial devices. But mainly, if you can see evening as a time to unwind and relax and do things that are uh, promoting relaxation rather than continuing to you know, operate in that go, go, go mode as you did all day, that's what sets you up for a good night's sleep. So that's number one is to tone down that evening experience and, of course, create a nice uh, sleeping environment where it's dark, it's cool. There's no lights emanating from little blips and, and devices around. And it's a very relaxing environment in your bedroom rather than a place where you have stacks of paperwork and an unfinished home project and clutter everywhere. Uh, we cite research in the book where just looking at clutter such as, oh, I need to finish that. That's my model ship that I'm making for my with my grandson, and it's half done. We haven't done it in six months. Or a pile of clothes that you right. need to return, and you haven't done it. Just looking at it, not even forming a thought about it, just right. looking at it triggers stress response. So we need to clean up our act and go into a place where, you know, when you go in a hotel, it looks beautiful in there, and there's a the, the bed's half folded over, and there's a little mint, and um, it feels like an inviting place to go sleep. So we need to make sure our home environment is really inviting, too. So that's kind of the big tips in the sleep section. I love that. Yeah, I love that you're putting such an emphasis on rest and recovery, because I work, I'm a, I'm a high-performance human, and I work with a lot of high-performance humans. And I always say, listen, like, LeBron James spends a million dollars a year on his recovery. So if you're going to perform life like a professional athlete performs the sport, you're going to have to recover and invest in your recovery just like they do, right? Because I could not just continue to do the output that I do in the gym and then run my own business and take care of my kids and just be like, here, body, just keep giving and giving and giving and giving, and I'm never going to give you anything back. And so that's why I am such a fan of recovery modalities like ice baths, like taking supplements. You know, I think we're gifted. People say, do I need supplements? I'm like, well, you don't need them. But I mean, we have the opportunity to give our bodies more than what royalty for most of the history of time had access to. So if I can, you know, I do DNA and blood testing and mineral hair, mineral testing and things like that with my clients, if I can find out that my body has a specific need and I can give it the active form of that, that maybe it's not giving, getting from food, what a gift to my body. And that allows me to continue to perform at a, a bit higher output without gassing out right and so <laughs> the other thing is i am like if you see me in the morning i admit i am like in go mode because i understand that around starting in the afternoon i'm going to allow that to slowly turn down i think that's so important there's a concept um called uh as i think it's called sunset gazing and the <laughs> the purpose of it is like you watch a sunset happen to remind you to that the earth just allows things to let go it's okay there's a new day tomorrow we don't have to stress and i think so often we have this hard time sleeping because we're like i didn't get enough time enough done today and i have all these things and it's like just let go 
it's all good. Uh-huh. But there's a new day tomorrow. And so I really have learned to embrace that to like when I'm in beast mode, I'm in beast mode. But <laughs> as, well, as that starts to gradually fade, I think allowing that is so important. And I also think um, if you're going to be a high performance person, you need to also really invest in your rest and recovery and start doing things like um, perhaps cryotherapy or IV vitamin drips or supplements or um, making sure sleep is is sufficient. And I love your talk about sleep hygiene, because I know for so many of my clients who do live high stress lifestyles, you know, I'm like, are you waking up in the middle of the night? Okay, what's going on there? What are the thoughts coming into your mind? What can we optimize there? Do you need more carbs? Do you know, at night for serotonin? And I think um, sleep, can we I get def- over ourselves? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that helps. Yeah. And I think for me, sleep, I admit, sometimes I do not get enough sleep and I'll go in for my run the next day and I'm like, holy crap. Okay. And then I'll get, you know, nine hours of sleep and I'm like a lightning bolt. I'm like, this is the best pre-workout ever, (laughs) you know? And so, um, sleep, I would say is the biggest hitter of recovery for sure. It's the world's um, cheapest (laughs) pre-workout, the world's cheapest performance enhancer. Yeah. Put that up there with fasting. Sleep and fasting. How much? How many bucks are you out? Oh, zero. Okay. Yeah, I always say if you can do extended fasting, it's free stem cells for everyone. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, huge, huge fan of of rest and recovery and everything that you guys talked about in the book. When I I've listened to it, I'm just like, yes, yes, you know. And they get into for people listening, you guys get into um, the most important blood labs that you might want to look out for and all the different like hows of everything that Brad talked about today. If you're like, okay, this kind of resonates with me. I like his approach. That's what you guys got into in the book. It's like, okay, and here's how you do it. So I really, really appreciated the book. And I really appreciate having you here with me on the podcast today. Um, Okay. So for everything, from everything we've heard from you today, from your like lifetime now of being this high performance athlete to crushing it in business to, you know, going through raising kids, like what is the number one out of everything? The number one thing that you're like, please don't miss this part of your health approach. What would that be? Wow. Great, great finishing question. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to take five seconds to think about it. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the the creator of the play Hamilton. Oh yeah. 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 So, and all the rap in Hamilton, I mean, it was yeah. brilliant. And he yeah. was on one of the night shows. I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or something. And they said, Hey, how about a freestyle rap? And he's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and so, they flashed up three random words and it was like church, uh, low rider car and uh, cheese puffs, whatever. And the guy took like five seconds and he's like, all right. And then the band starts and he's like, I'm going into church. I'm in a lurch because I got to find my chief's puffs and life is really rough because I'm starving right now. Oh, my wow. gosh. It was like pure genius. I was so you wow. know, freestyle rap, man. So I feel like the freestyle rapper put on the spot here with. with <laughs> um, and, you know, like I referenced a little bit with that athletic experience uh, and, and trying to get over myself, I might have to go with that one. And I, I don't know if any listeners are getting older uh, who are listening to the show today. I know I am. And some of it's sort of unpleasant because as a competitor, you know, you want to keep your times going and all that. And I'm realizing, wow, it does take longer to recover here at age 54 than it did. And but one of the great things I think about getting older is accumulating that life experience and developing uh, a different perspective so that maybe I'm not so reactive to 
uh, crappy things that happen in life because you know what? I've, I've been there and done that. I've been through it. I'm still here breathing today and it could be worse. So that's a good quote is, you know, things could be worse. So if you're not good at your, if you haven't filled in your gratitude journal yet, you can start right now saying, Hey, you know what? I got, I got problems. I got issues, but things could be worse. And I'm, I'm just glad to be where I'm at today and have some sort of, um, healthy perspective to start with instead yeah. of getting into that um, negative reactive mode. So I'm, I think attitude and uh, mm -hmm. getting over yourself would be my takeaway tip. Yeah, I love that so much because you guys were talking about that in the book, how much your um, your mindset affects your physiology, which I love and I 100% agree with, you know, like you can eat a piece of cheesecake as, you, as it was mentioned in the book and your bad attitude and guilt and shame and corrosive emotions about the cheesecake are more harmful than the cheesecake themselves. So having a positive mindset and being filled with gratitude, you know, that's something I do all the time. When I start to feel sorry for myself, I flip it on the spot and I'm like, nope. I am grateful for this laundry and these four kids and this eco healthy <laughs> laundry soap and this nice washer and this home that I live in. And I have to switch it and instantly I'm like, oh, oh, get to, not have to. So I love, I love that perspective. I also like getting older. People are always like, oh, I don't want to ask your age. I'm like, I'm 37. I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Let's keep going. Like I, the, nice. to me, the, the longer you live, the better it gets in my opinion. So right. love um, it. I love that perspective. Thank you so much, Brad, for coming on. Um, where can people find out more about you? Oh, if you go look at bradkearns.com, you'll have a lot of fun. There's some crazy videos there of me jumping in the chest freezer. So you'll learn more about that. I explain how to get started. And just like you described, just take a cold shower tomorrow morning and um, go for it. And it's a great uh, personal breakthrough to say that you have the motivation, discipline, and focus to, to, to breathe through it. And then that carries over into all other forms of stress that you face in life. Uh, you can see my Guinness World Record in speed golf, the craziest and coolest yeah. sport in the world. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> cool. resources, information. And I, I appreciate being on the show. It's great, great fun and, um, you know, wonderful job as a host. I, I love engaging with someone who's who's done her preparation and has great questions and so keep doing the good work that you're doing on your show. Thanks so much, Brad. And we'll put links to everything in the show notes so you guys can find Brad and all of his crazy doings and, <laughs> and accolades. So thanks again, Brad, for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inside Out Health Podcast. I hope this episode served as inspiration and something that you needed to hear in your life. If you have a friend or family member that you think would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And also please subscribe. I have so many more amazing guests coming. I have just been so gifted and honored to meet so many incredible health professionals in my career. And I cannot wait to share their messages with you guys. So please subscribe. And if you could be so kind as to rate my show, I would really appreciate it. Um, this podcast is honestly an intuitive call to me to help spread goodness to the world. And so if you guys can help me do that, I would really appreciate it. Um, if you want more info on this guest, pop over to my website, check out my podcast section, and you can get links to everything we talked about in the show um, and find out more about this guest and what where you can go from here. Um, make sure you're also following me on Instagram. Uh, that is my most active platform. You can find me at Coach Tara Garrison. You can also find me on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. Everything is Coach Tara Garrison across the board. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to send me a message, guys, and let me know other guests or other topics you want to hear on the show, please let me know. I am here to serve you. So um, would love to hear from you. Would love your feedback on the show. And if you share any of these episodes, please tag me on social media. It's Coach Tara Garrison.